It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 729 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. That's episode 729. Hey, I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Gaetano Dinardi. Gaetano is director of demand generation at Nextiva. And we're going to touch on a lot of topics today. Sales training, high turnover rate in sales, search engine optimization, and hip-hop. Now, Gaetano, if you don't know, has a side hustle as a hip-hop artist. And you can check out his videos on LinkedIn and other places. And, and I absolutely love this. Look, I love sales. But we have a tendency to take it too seriously and sort of focus too much on it. And throughout my career, my experience has been that the most successful people I've known are those who have also cultivated some deep expertise or deep experience in something else, some other field completely, like music or writing, athletics, whatever. And research has borne this out as well. David Epstein writes about this in his new best-selling book, Range. Uh, and he talks about how experts, reciting research, how experts in the fields typically have developed deep proficiency in some other pursuit. And he talks about Nobel Prize winners that are great artists or great musicians and so on. But basically, it's a lesson that applies to everyone. So I think you'll enjoy Gaetano's story about his music career, as well as some great insights about sales. Now, before we get to Gaetano, I want to welcome VanillaSoft as a new sponsor for Accelerate. I truly appreciate their support. VanillaSoft is the industry's leading sales engagement platform. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that you can eliminate sales lead cherry picking by reps. It means your reps will make more than two or three outreach attempts for every lead they get. It means each rep will actually follow an omni-channel cadence. Now, to help with that, you need to check out our ultimate guide to prospecting. Daniel Disney and Daryl Prale will show you how to combine cold calling with social selling for outrageous results. So you can get that ebook now at vanillasoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. Hey, that's me. So that's vanillasoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. All right, let's jump into it. Gaetano, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy, thanks for having me, brother. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure. I've, I've been a fan and, and follower of yours for a while, and uh, I'm really honored to, to be here with you today, man. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. That's an honor to have you on the show. So before we get started, which you have this like, you know, second career, sort of maybe burgeoning <laughs> career as, <laughs> as a hip-hop star, and uh, like you dropped some videos a couple weeks ago, uh, music videos that you had done that ah. professionally produced. So, were you were you an aspiring artist, or are you still doing that and hoping to like make that your primary gig? Yeah, it's a really good question. Thanks for for bringing that one up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, he's hopefully he's saying that sincerely. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, for sure. So, what many people don't know is I actually got into music. Uh, at a young age, and I wouldn't be in marketing if it weren't for uh, my music career. So long story short, I was in the industry pretty hardcore uh, before I was like in this tech marketing world. And I was producing my own beats, um, making videos, writing songs, and I had some pretty good accolades under my belt. You know, I got to work with some really big artists in the game. Like I got on some records for Fat Joe, uh, Shaggy and many others that people would probably know. 
I know Shaggy. Uh, I know Shaggy. I, I can't say I know Fat Joe, but yeah. <laughs> Fat Joe's a New York legend, a Bronx New York legend. Uh, okay, all right. And that's my hood. So. All right, all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was doing all that. And um, what I had realized also was that like this was this wasn't the kind of lifestyle that I just wanted to be like doing alone. Like I just didn't want to be, you know, doing this rat race style life. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I wanted something that was also going to like challenge my brain because music comes so effortless, effortlessly to me. But the, the challenge with it is that there's no path like to, to say from A to Z that shows you exactly what the steps are. So, um, I started a music blog and I started just writing articles about, uh, companies that I didn't think were doing ethical things. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, my blog was getting all this traffic and all these comments. And I knew it was getting traffic because it was getting comments from people that I had no idea who they were. Right. And I, you know, for shits and giggles, one day I installed Google analytics and I'm like, let me see how all this shit works, man. And I was realizing like, Oh my gosh, this is getting 5,000 hits, you know, a month. Um, all through SEO. Like I stumbled backwards into it. Cause I realized people were searching, you know, music company name mm-hmm. scam or reviews. Right. And mine was coming up for that. And I basically realized that I had like inadvertently taught myself SEO. And I really liked the idea of building stuff and people finding it rather than me having to go outbound and promote it because mm-hmm. with music, there's no SEO. Like I can't do, you know, uh, best songwriter, New York, or, you know, best new, you know, Italian trap song or something like that. Like no one's really going to find it. Um, but with SEO, you can create things that your customers want, that your prospects want. And this was very appealing to me. I, I was really tired of doing all this outbound with my music stuff to try to promote it. Right. So long story short, I met this uh, guy, Michael King, who was starting up an SEO agency. He, he was one of the top guys in SEO at the time, still is. And I was the second person hired at his, his agency in New York. Uh, my test project for the job was to present the strategy behind my music. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. how did I like everything from how much did it cost to make this project? How much did you spend on ads? What are your YouTube analytics stats looking like? How did you plan to go to market with this? This uh, what was your target audience for this? Et cetera, et cetera. What were the results? Right, because I had put out a couple of my own albums that he had saw, and he was also uh, an independent musician at the time. Uh, coming from a past life. So we had that in common. So he gave me a shot. You know, my first big project was major league baseball. And I'll tell you the truth. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. He threw me into the deep end and, you know, I just figured this shit out. And uh, that's that's the way, that's the way we learn. Yeah, exactly. So fast forward to present day, you know, I'm running demand generation at Nextiva, but it, it wouldn't have been uh, possible if, you know, I didn't get my start in music. And to answer your question, do I want to make that my main gig? Um, I actually don't want to be like in the spotlight or, mm-hmm. you know, on tour or like, you know, Justin Bieber or anything like that. <laughs> but what, <laughs> I have zero desire. Well, you'd have to dye your hair for one. Yeah. I'd have to, you know, do all that. Um, but I have zero desire to do that. However, what I really want to do, and I don't see this being like, you know, take over my marketing career or life, but I do want to, um, continue producing, being a studio rat as they call it behind the scenes kind of guy. And during my downtime, I want to be able to work with, you know, great artists and make great music. And, you know, it's a passion of mine. And I talk very openly about it. 
in the business world. I have nothing to hide. And I'm starting a community called Musicians in Tech that is hopefully going to bridge the gap between the tech industry and, and music. So well, cool. uh, that's, Very that's cool. where it's at, man. Well, I mean, I think uh, besides just being fascinating, seeing somebody you know, reach a high level with, with one of their passions that's in addition to business, I think it's just a great lesson for people in general is, is that if you want to succeed in life is you don't want to be single-threaded, right? It's, it's, there's mm-hmm. increasing research coming out, uh, books written, a uh, recent book called Range by David, Ep- David Epstein talking about why generalists, generalists triumph in a specialized world. Is talking about how you yeah. know, people who have you know, passions and, and interests that are much broader than work uh, generally come out on top. So mm-hmm. good, good lesson for, for people uh, that are paying attention to that. So um, hey, one of the first things I want to talk about, because you, know, you worked at Sales Hacker for a while and, and are exposed to sales community and still are, is about a number of articles just recently about the high rate of turnover in sales. And mm-hmm. salespeople, sales managers, VPs, I mean, I think VPs, average turnover is about you know, once every 18 months, sales reps, 12 to 14 months. It's high. Yeah, roughly, extremely high. So, yeah. yeah. Just interested on your take on that and maybe dive into that a little bit. Sure. Well, so so why, uh, what do you think is causing it? Sure. Um, I think a lot of times um, VPs of sales, sales managers, they are up against uh, incredible growth pressure. And if you're in this VC SaaS world, uh, you're, you're certainly going to feel that. Mm-hmm. And if there, to me, it comes down to like process, like if the sales process is really uh, plateauing or struggling in a way, and that VP of sales or sales manager is going to have to come up with new ways to kind of break through some, some of those challenges that are happening and the expectations are like unreasonable. Um, and there's misalignment with C level. You're, you know, it's got all the things that are ripe for, for this to happen. Um, even when it comes down to, to, I would say alignment with the marketing team, that's another huge thing. Um, and it all depends on what stage the company is in, of course, and you know, all these other things. But I would say that that some of the key things are unrealistic (laughs) expectations from, from leadership, um, poor training on, on the front lines, you know, that, that seems to be one of the biggest problems right now. Um, people just don't know how to sell. Um, I see that in my own company. I see it in in other companies as well. And, um, well, so let's let's dive in marketing alignment support as well. All right, so let's let's dive into some of those because I think that this whole idea of the unrealistic expectations and several of the things that you brought up is we're caught in these sort of vicious cycles. You know, it's it's and they become self reinforcing. Is yeah, eighteen months is way too short of a time realistically for a VP to have significant lasting impact on a on a sales organization if yeah. you're selling anything with, of any complexity, but. That's sort of the way the, as you said, that's what the expectations are. And that just flows down. It's like, okay, well, yeah, we do a, a horrible, crappy job of training our salespeople at company XYZ, but you know, it's not worth spending anymore because they're all going to leave in 12 months. <laughs> exactly. But hey, they're all going to leave in 12 months because they don't see any opportunity for growth and not being trained and they don't know how to do their jobs. And it leaves them in an unfair catch-22. You know, it it all, like you said, it depends on complexity of the sales cycle and, you know, the model. Like, you know, my current company now, Nextiva, we're very heavy inbound sales, inbound marketing, Mm -hmm, inbound mm -hmm. sales. 
And most of the pressure I'll tell you is on marketing to, to generate, continue, to right. generate leads, man. Right. Like it's on me. <laughs> I I've got to, I take my shit, you know, really seriously, man. Cause if I'm not, if I'm not fulfilling my, my leads and my, and my responsibilities to the sales team, people aren't going to eat out there. And of course there's always inefficiencies, you know, when it comes to the inbound model, it's really about, you know, plugging up leaky, leaky gaps and leaky buckets. And there's always inefficiencies in the sales side that, that, mm-hmm. can, be, that can be fixed. But ultimately if it's an inbound model, guess what marketing it's your ass. Um, well, mostly. So, yeah. I mean, sales still needs to execute. I mean, still needs to execute on it. Yes. I've never seen a, a marketing organization who's, you know, batting a thousand on highly targeted <laughs> qualified leads coming in. I mean, yeah. it's, it's still casting a fairly wide net. So sales still has to do their job. Yeah. Even if, even if marketing's doing an excellent job, um, we don't <laughs> aren't quite in this utopian era where every lead coming in is a great lead. Um, <laughs> hopefully we'll get there at some point. We'll but, get there someday. Yeah. As I tell people, I think, you know, the ideal world for sales would be sales doesn't have to do outbound. That inbound's so good. Yeah. That they can spend their time actually selling. But uh, that's how sales that's how it was at Sales Hacker. And I'm not tuning my own horn by any means. It was a team effort. Mm-hmm. But at Sales Hacker, it was very little outbound, if any. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all inbound referrals and events. Right. And social. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if if you can do it. Great. I mean, there are some people out there who have written books and say, no, 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 no. You know, a lead you develop yourself is always going to be better than an inbound lead. (laughs) And, you know, there's no data to support that at all. Um, Yeah, yeah. I was on a a webinar once with a guy who made that claim. I was like, you can't say that. (laughs) He said, yeah, the lead you develop yourself closes with a higher transaction value and they close at higher rates. And it's like, Mm, no, nah, I've been in sales 40, 40 <laughs> years, and I've closed deals from $2,000 to close to $100 million, and that's just not the case. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I, I see what they're coming from. I think I get what they're trying to say with that. I think they're trying to say that there's a correlation between the amount of effort, initiative, and accountability that you take um, as a rep, um, the relationship, and, and kind of that, um, that trust that you build within that that lead, you know, whether or not you quote unquote develop it yourself, like you said, uh, is, up, is up for debate, but <laughs> <laughs> well, but that, that's a, that's a great point though, is, yeah. is, and I think there's, there's such a lack of truthfulness among many thought leaders about this whole idea about, um, how leads are generated and originated because yeah, I mean, I, there are times I might've gotten a call from a prospect, but you know, chances are I'd called them before. Maybe I'd run into a trade show. They'd read one of our ads somewhere. I mean, it's like, okay, where do you attribute that to? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, some combination of proactive marketing and inbound. I think on a high fraction of the leads that actually turn into deals. Mm-hmm. I think if people were honest <laughs> with themselves. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, people point of view they have to protect. So, whatever. Um, there you go. <laughs> so, I, this idea on, on turnover, is, though, it's, it's one of... Pursue that path because I think that's something that's really needs to be needs to be addressed seriously, and I don't see companies doing it. So one is we talked about training. Is I just interested in your opinion? Is I, yeah, I quite frankly I don't see any company, and again I don't know the whole universe of companies out there, but I from Fortune 500 companies I work with to you know SaaS startups and tech startups. No one does a good job. No one is really committed, in my estimation, 
to training and educating their sellers. Yeah, they just look at them as disposable mm-hmm. resources. And mm-hmm. if this one doesn't work, I'll go find another one. Mm-hmm. That's what I, what do you think is the key to changing that mindset with companies? <laughs> That's, uh, excuse me. Monu- I mean, monumental challenges around that. Um, all well, the I, way. F- I figured you'd be the guy to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, um, like you said, something has to change at some point because you know, what's that quote? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even at my company, for example, you know, we're starting to make training a bigger initiative now because, you know, we're realizing that the only way we're going to re- be able to really break this next layer of plateauing is by selling better. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the call the, you know, marketing, we don't have to do this, but I, I encourage my team to do it. I do it. I'm one of the few people in marketing that do this. I listen to sales calls every day. Sure. And I'm not doing it necessarily from, you know, audit perspective where mm-hmm. I have to call out the, the sales reps on everything that they're doing poorly. But when I do come across something crazy, <laughs> which I do sometimes, mm-hmm. like I, you know, I, this is going to be really funny, but I, I heard a sales rep say on a call, um, Hey, you know, Mr. Prospect, um, our CEO is a billionaire. He has plenty of money. So you don't have to worry about us trying to just get your money. We're much more than, than so I'm like, so this is the narrative that this person is. This is, this is the, yeah, the Donald Trump narrative for, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Like this. So this is going to make a prospect say, wow, this company really has the solution to my problem. Their CEO has a lot of money. Yeah. Great. They're not, so trying, like when I hear, they're not trying to cheat me. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like when I hear things like that happening, you know, it's just very clear that this, this rep has not been trained in a very long time. They don't have their talking points together. They don't review their battle cards. They don't know how to sell, uh, based on value. Um, they don't know how to, you know, communicate current state to future state. These are all very, you know, basic fundamental things within sales that, you know, reps just are missing. And that comes down to obviously training and management. And then, you know, who's training the managers is the other question. It's like, if the, these managers need training too, they're mm. not just the, the, the end all be all authority on sales. You know, I get that they're more experienced than maybe the, the junior SDRs or BDRs that are out on the front lines, but, um, it's gotta be executive, executive push. You know, they've got to wake up and smell the coffee and say, you know, we're struggling here. We've got to figure out a way to one, clean up our sales enablement content library and our, our ammunition that we're giving the sales team out there on the field. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one part of it. The other part of it is kind of the, the tactical sort of, you know, let's, let's listen to some calls. Let's see where we're dropping the ball. If you have a lot of money uh, as a company, maybe you can deploy a tool like Gong or, or Chorus and, and start doing sales analyzation uh, through your calls that way. Uh, you could try to use technology as a way to band-aid some of this shit, but if you ain't got the fundamentals right, you know, a, a tool like Outreach or Sales Loft is not even going to save you. So um, I think it's got to be uh, driven from the executive level down, and they've got to just make it a priority and and make it happen. Yeah, I mean, no disagreement with that. I, I think that that I look at it slightly differently because I think that. The problem is that we look at this as a, an issue of training versus an issue of learning. 
And I think that perspective is, is sort of the problem. It's almost like the perspective of saying sales is something we do to a prospect versus something we do with them, right? I mean, that's a mm-hmm. fundamental different way of looking at sales. If you think selling is always something you're, you do to someone, then this is where we get the stereotypical bad image of sales, right? Some sales is forcing themselves upon a prospect, whereas something we're working on collaboratively to reach a certain outcome Hey, that's a different perspective. And if the seller has that perspective, that's great. And I think the same thing is true with managers when they look at training as, yeah, it's something I'm going to do twice a year. Hey, I'm going to hire Andy to come in and speak mm. at our sales kickoff event, as opposed to I'm going to set aside 15, 20 minutes every single day. And we're going to either read books collectively. I mean, I have, I offer a service to, to companies, it's a, a sales team book club. You know, where we, I love the whole, that. whole sales team. We read 10 books during the year, and I lead online discussion groups and so on. But they're all engaged at a certain amount of time per day in, in learning. And maybe it's not reading a book. Maybe it's, you know, hey, the boss says this week, I want everybody to listen to this, this podcast featuring Gaetano, and we're going to talk about it next Monday. Uh, and you have a week to listen to 30 minutes. So spend 10 minutes a day. Yeah. But we don't emphasize learning. We emphasize, you know, these point solutions. And I, to me, that <laughs> seems to be the fundamental mindset change that needs to take place because one's a real, you're sending a message to your sellers, hey, we're, we're investing in you. you know, if we're doing something we're, we think is important enough to do every day as opposed to gathering the team together for three days once a year, then, I don't know, you tell me, doesn't the salesperson think that's a different message they're receiving from the, uh, the company? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it's much more worthwhile to do something like you just suggested where the team uh, is, is reading some books and comes together and discusses learnings and then put some of those potential mm-hmm. learnings on paper and say, what can I actually try on my next call? Exactly. What can I, what can I try during my next sales you know, uh, cycle? W- what can I do to impact quota this month that I learned as a result of this book? And, you know, the, the, the reps coming together and sharing that knowledge rather than you said, going on a president's club trip <laughs> where they just go to, you know, Dominican Republic and get, you know, wasted on a beach somewhere. I mean, that's fun, but. Well, I was <laughs> even thinking of sales kickoff meetings. I mean, I, I, so I, for one, as, as you know, I do presentations of sales kickoff meetings, but I've stopped bidding on the sales kickoff. I'll say, okay, Here's the deal. I'll do a sales kickoff, but you have to commit, you the client, to a minimum of four, let's say, webinars that are reinforcement webinars. Oh, I like so that. every quarter we'll go through it. And I've had clients say, yeah, 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 okay, great. So they pay me for it and I'll come present, but then they never do the follow on webinars. Oh, man. <laughs> and it's like, so the, you, really, you paid for it, man. You really, you paid for this, right? <laughs> but it's like, yeah, you know, I had one, actually, one client tell me, yeah. You know, my sales team doesn't think sales training works. That's a quote. Oh, man. From a VP, that, that. A VP of sales enablement at a very well-known SaaS company said, my sales team doesn't think sales training works. Which, they're right. He should have been listening to them. But it doesn't. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. He took his cue from them. Wow. Wow, man. I mean, it, yeah. It, like, you know, something else you said, Andy, hits me pretty, pretty hard, too. I remember when I was coming up hard in the, in the marketing game, I took that extra hour a day to, to read blogs, to attend mm-hmm. webinars on my own time. Yeah, right. I'm, my self, own time I'm, to, to, I'm self-trained. Yeah. Yeah. To learn, man. Like, yeah, I, I have a degree in marketing, but I didn't learn squat. Uh, in school. So, um, yeah. So anyway, well, like, it's, it's some people think the answer these days is that the increasing number of universities are coming up with degrees in sales. And 
It's just like your experience with marketing is, yeah, you took the courses, but you're going to have to come and learn everything from scratch again. Cause, and, yeah. I, and I gave a talk to a, <laughs> a sales class at a, a university uh, several months ago, and less than a third of the people in the class were even intending to go to sale, into sales. Oh, man. They're just, they're just fulfilling their credit requirement or something. Well, they're getting a degree in it, but they don't plan to do it. So, yeah. I mean, I got a degree in history. I'm not a historian. So, I guess that's fair. There you go. Yeah. So, like with salespeople, you've got to do the same thing. Like, you've got to make, like you said, Andy, learning as part of like your, your regimen and um, you've got to prioritize it. And it really comes down to like, are you in sales just trying to get a paycheck? Like, that's what I also see a lot happening nowadays. Like there's people in sales that aren't passionate about selling. They're there or their customers or their prospects. They're there because they either need a foot in the door into some organization and they want to go lateral into some other department. They mm-hmm. just don't know how to get in. Sales is always considered like that first quote unquote barrier to entry. Or they're just there uh, temporarily, you know, kind of just going through the motions, getting a paycheck. Maybe they have some other plans for their career in the future and they're just kind of there, just kind of going through it, but they don't really have a desire to make sales a real career. Yeah, or they think that they're there just long enough to find that next better sales job. And there was a great uh, quote I read online recently on LinkedIn. Someone was talking about how he said, you know, the problem with a salesperson, a lot of sellers these days is after 10 years, they change jobs so frequently that they don't have 10 years worth of sales experience. They have 10 first years worth of sales experience. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and I thought that was actually brilliant. Yeah, I think that that is, yeah, I'm, hey, I'm not against people changing jobs. I, I was of a generation of sort of the first. I'm old enough to remember when people criticized me for only being in jobs for two and a half, three years with startups before moving to the next one, uh, to being criticized once when I, after I'd started my own company, I got called by a big company to come in and look at a general manager job for a new division they were starting. And the recruiter criticized me for being at my last job too long. Um, but so I've seen the, <laughs> I've seen the full cycle of things. Yeah. But one year is too short. I mean, if yeah. you look at, it doesn't matter if, how transactional your your sale is, uh, but if you have anything with any sort of degree of complexity and you know a 60, 90 day sales cycle, you don't have enough turns at bat during that time to say, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. No, and why you get no. hired at the next job is beyond me. But let's just start with that. Is <laughs> you got to be you got to be realistic and say, look, I, maybe I'm better off staying an extra year or two. And really mastering what I'm doing here, because then I can take that to my next company and the track record and say, yeah, now pay me even more, right? Because I'm worth exactly. more because I'm going to deliver more. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you, the the low sort of, hey, I'm waiting, just waiting around for the next better sales job is, you know, it's not a good way to go. I, I would totally recommend, mm-hmm. like you said, Andy, mastering you know, one facet of sales before trying to, you know, move on and tackle the next thing. That's how it was for me in my marketing career. Like I wasn't trying to learn social advertising, SEO, content marketing, uh, analytics, coding, like design. I wasn't Mm -hmm. trying to do all these things at once. I was being very, very focused at mastering one aspect of marketing at a time. And I think, you know, sales should follow, follow the same, the same path as that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, look back at my career, which, you know, first 25 years was working for other companies and, since then for myself but um yeah where i had the biggest growth opportunities and where i actually grew the most and achieved the most was those instances where i showed patience and stayed where it's tempting to go but then i was like yeah but maybe i'm on the cusp of really learning 
something here, which is what my motivation always was. And it wasn't money. It was about working. What's the situation I'm going to be in where I can really learn something? Exactly. And somebody I can learn something from as in terms of a boss and so on. And when I got when I stayed, I stayed an extra two years in some cases, or in one case, an extra three or four years. Yeah, the payoff was huge. Exactly. And, you know, one, one actionable tip I'll, I'll leave for, for your audience listening is if you're, if you're in one of these like junior roles in sales right now, um, or even mid-level, and you're just kind of like, you need something to look forward to in order to stay longer. One thing I've always thought about is like, what can I publicize about what I'm doing right now? What kind of case studies can I produce on myself? So personal brand development. Yeah, exactly. So you can take, you know, hey, uh, my last 60-day sales cycle, I was doing all this. This is my process. And now for this 60-day sales cycle, I'm trying something completely different. Here's what the outcomes were, you know, on process A versus process B that I tried. Maybe I, you know, mixed up my 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 sales and 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 cadence mix a little bit differently on this on this cycle or mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. Look for interesting things that you can do experiment wise that you can document and share with the world because it's going to give you something to look forward to and it's going to give you some personal personal accountability to challenge yourself and say, you know, I got to put out this super kick ass case study that the LinkedIn community is going to appreciate. Then I can hit up somebody like Andy Paul and say, hey, Andy. You know, could I be on your podcast and share, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so tie, yeah. So tie the brand building, uh, back to it because, um, you won't just be some soulless person at a SaaS company trying to sell shit. Uh, you'll be somebody that has, uh, some kind of project that is tied to their role and their personal brand that they can be proud of share with the world. And it's going to make things a little bit more interesting. So. Well, I think there's a lot of lot of wisdom in that for people, and this is obviously another topic that's very controversial because people, again, certain quote unquote experts saying, "Look, salespeople should never be creating content; they should just be, you know, selling." <laughs> um, and, and you're you're laughing at that, but I I happen to agree with you. I think that if you're in sales, I mean, I, when I get a call from a salesperson about anything, usually when I'm still on the phone, I'm on their LinkedIn profile. And so, I want to know if they have a point of view about something, or if, as you said, they're just some nameless drone somewhere who's banging phone calls. <laughs> um, and if somebody actually has a point of view, they have a personality, and they bring that to the work, well, I think that's hugely important. So, I, I second what you talked about. I think if you're an individual contributor, that you need to be thinking about this idea about building your brand, because it, it, is, it is a differentiator, you as a salesperson totally. are still the front line of differentiation, more so than your product and service because, hey, most of them are commodities. So what what are you doing to make yourself different in the eyes of your buyers? And a lot of that will take place when you're face-to-face like we are here over video or actually in person, heaven forbid. Yeah. But, um, yeah, do something to make yourself stand out. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a task if you really, as your point earlier, if you really are passionate about what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, buyers like me, I'll tell you, I'm a technology buyer. So I'm really good at giving the buyer's perspective to your Mm -hmm. audience. I'm sure most of your audience is sellers, but I can give you, I'll give you a really good take on the buyer's perspective. You know, I get, you know, if you, when you put demand generation in your title on LinkedIn, it's like, you know, there's blood out there and the sharks are, <laughs> you know, the vultures are, you know, they're swooping down looking right. to just get you. Um, and I get pitched a lot, man. I probably get 
50 to 100 pitches a month in that range, which yeah, is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And it's pretty high. And um, I've taken very, 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 very few meetings. But buyers like me, what I will do when a salesperson hits me up, if the, if the outreach is decent, like, first of all, if it's automated in any way, I, I'll automatically delete it. Yep. I don't care. If it, 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 the only way I, I wouldn't is if it was like the perfect timing for something I needed right then. And it was the highest priority, but that never happens. Right. right. Like when does that ever happen that you just get, you better get so lucky as a salesperson. If that happens, right. That never happens. Most of the time, no one's out there looking for your solution. It's not a need. It's you're interruptive, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. If it's a solid, if it's a halfway decent piece of outreach that is personalized, it's not automated, and it's something I, I kind of need, and it's somewhere on my priority list, I'll at least give their LinkedIn profile a look, like you said. Mm-hmm. And if that LinkedIn profile has no personality, they're not sharing content, they're not contributing to threads. They don't um, have. A, they don't have a picture. Yeah, th- that's automatic. Bl- like uh, yeah, yeah I, which is yeah. just crazy. I, it still yeah. stuns me. To t- till today, it still even. happens. Yeah, the the number of salespeople when I, they send me something, they send me a pitch. I look at their LinkedIn profile, and one of two faults, as far as I'm concerned, one is it's it's uh, too highly produced a photo, you know, a glamour shot, either mm. of male or female, and or there's no photo at all. And yeah, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't need a prom picture. I just, you know, <laughs> just who are you? Yeah. Who are, do you, yeah. Do you have a soul? Um, right. <laughs> so yeah, I think all companies should require reps before they get, you know, out there on the field to have like a LinkedIn profile makeover. Like it's not hard. That should be part of the requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you shouldn't have a profile that is just, that just states your, you know, your past roles and no picture with no descriptions under the roles. Like you should, you should have, you know, at least all-star level as, as LinkedIn tries to call right. it, um, completeness on your profile. Cause it does make a difference. Buyers like me are, we really want to, you know, check for credibility and see if we, we can trust you. And if you, you know, you're legit. So we're going to look at your profile and any little thing that stands out as weird or nah, this person doesn't seem legit. If they have too many buzzwords in their headline, like lead generation expert and you know, exactly. uh, lion, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> I see it all the time. And I just, I, yeah, it always makes me skeptical. Yeah. It makes me skeptical, like, you know, whatever. Um, I, and, and, you know, another thing I really hate is like, if I see in the description, just like a bunch of bullet points with like, you know, go to market strategy accomplishments. And, and like, it's just like all these like, you know, robotic things, but it doesn't actually have a story. Mm-hmm. I, I'll just say, you know, this person's probably bogus. It doesn't seem legit. They're trying way too hard to seem credible. Uh, I'll pass. Yeah. Well, I think sort of summing up some of this is, and we are sort of reaching the end of time, but is is, uh, authenticity is really, really important, and this is something that that just we'd mentioned earlier. It's just yeah. be be you, right? But also you're big on this, uh, yeah. But and also have a point of well, because I think the reason I'm big on it is because yeah, contrary to a lot of people, uh, yeah, I firmly believe, and my experience has shown me, and experience of many others I've worked with worked with has shown me, is that we as individuals we are the difference makers in sales, totally. And yeah, it doesn't matter how great a tool you're selling. I mean, there's some occasions maybe you get lucky. You're working for some unicorn where the product is flying off the shelves, quote unquote. Uh, but <laughs> you know, maybe we all get fortunate once in a while to work for a company like that. But the rest of the time, working for something, we actually have to sell, yeah. uh, right? And so if we actually have to go out and sell, it's about you. Yeah. And you know, this old adage about the customer buys you. 
Yeah, that's that is still largely true. I agree 100%, dude. I mean, our inbound model right now proves that, right? Like you can like a lot of the leads are the same. You know, they come from the same sources. You know, if 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 a lead came from this one affiliate source, we have a couple of affiliate sources. Mm-hmm. And we have a few affiliates that are like really high quality leads. Like, you know, if they're coming from this source that they're ready, like they, right. they want to be sold to they're they're ready to go. And like you said, it comes down to the individual, one individual with that lead may crush it. Another individual may totally bomb. And if the same level of interest came from the same source, same timeline, same decision maker profile. Right. And it's just, like you said, it comes down to the individual. Sometimes the individual just misses the bar. Uh, misses the mark, and that's just right. That's just what happens. Well, and I think this is another reason why I, I'm so focused on this idea of learning versus training. Is that training is really an attempt in almost all cases is to take uh, square pegs and fit them into round holes, and is to make everybody somewhat the same. Right? I want right. to. I want to be the McDonald's of sales. I want all. I want the, the buyer experience to be identical with from all my salespeople. And the fact is, it's just not going to happen because sellers are human, they're individuals. So the thing is to be the best version of yourself. You know, take this learning and develop your mm-hmm. own skills, your own capabilities, your own personality, your own strengths and weaknesses. And, and unfortunately, it really, that makes, especially in <coughs> sectors like SaaS, it makes the sales managers really nervous because, <laughs> you know, they're driving everything by the metrics. And if they're driving by the metrics, I, I need you to act this way to get this done. Don't act on your own. And the key to success in sales is being the best version of yourself. And you're, yeah. it doesn't have to be the same, the same person. Yeah, I had one client. Well, actually, I was running sales on a fractional basis for a few years for this one client. And, and hugely successful inbound. This was a fairly technical product. Sold. Okay. Yeah, you know, thirty-five to sixty k uh, combination of hardware, software, and as test equipment, and yeah, their number one salesperson was, and hopefully he's not <laughs> listening, but it's not not an insult, but guys, yeah, pathologically shy. Okay, but he was himself, and he was credible, and he knew the product, he knew the customers, he knew how they used it inside and out. He could do incredible discovery, and. Yeah, I could pass him by the hall. Really, the fourth year I was working at the company, I, we could pass in the hall and he couldn't say hi to me because um, he was so <laughs> shy. But man, he was, a, he was just a rock star with sales. That's it, so cool. And if you had interviewed him, you would never in a million years have hired him in sales. I brought, we brought him over from engineering inside the company. Wow. wow. But, but so, yeah, there's no one template for success. It's, you know, you're building your personal brand. That means, yeah, you. Focus I have on. one question for you, and sure. maybe before we sign off here, I was thinking about this a lot. I have a I have a really um, really strong friend uh, in sales. He's he's a strong seller. Um, won't name him or or mm-hmm. call him out, but uh, he's also a poker player. Yeah, and he has this notion that sales is a lot like poker in in that there's variance in sales, just like there's variance in poker. So he he feels like. You know, you may be an 80% favorite to win a deal, for example. Mm-hmm. And 
time and and sometimes like you just get the bad beat you know you just you don't you don't you don't flop the nuts or whatever you want to call it <laughs> whatever that means yes. <laughs> yeah yeah is- <laughs> in, po- in poker terms it's like it means like you know you you flop the set or something like that or you got a really good flop that benefits you and puts you in a favorite favorite position. But, you know, the way he broke it down to me the other day was that, you know, just sometimes like, you know, you may have pocket Kings and you may, you may lose to pocket aces on the river. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you were the favorite the whole time, he, right. he, he says sales is the same way that there's variance in sales and you're just going to go through these times where deals are going to get ripped out from under you at the last minute and mm-hmm. with, with maybe minimal explanation as to why uh, deals could fall through the crack at any moment and there's nothing you can do about it. And you played your hand perfectly. Um, do, do you agree with this or do you, or do you disagree with this? What do you think? Well, um, sort of agree. So okay. yeah, I mean, I've, I've been, I've talked before about deals that I've lost that I thought we had won. And to your example, just mm-hmm. sort of at the last minute then, and in retrospect, when you go back and analyze, it's like, yeah, okay. So there's one deal we were selling to this huge media company. We were going against a, an incumbent uh, for a huge uh, satellite network. And mm. um, yeah, we were the best solution by far. And then we were told, actually, pretty conclusively we were going to get the deal. And then we didn't. Um, mm. And at the end, the decision makers decided... Yeah, I guess they had been playing us all along. It seemed like, in retrospect, to get a better wow. to get get a better deal out of their incumbent. We probably should have found that out. Um, we right. thought we thought we had asked. We thought we thought we had found out. We thought you know we had done everything we thought we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, we hadn't done. There could have mm-hmm. been more we had done. But that's mm-hmm. you know that's a a great lesson I think is that yeah things happen that are out of your control that yeah you, know, you can only do the best of your ability. The thing is, how do you get better, right? It's how do you, how do you take the lessons you've learned and apply them in the future so that situations like that don't arise again? And, and the fact is they will, right? You can, you can, (laughs) you're dealing with, you're doing, you're dealing with human beings and human beings are not completely predictable. And this is, this is, you know, it drives me nuts about so much of what people want to project about sales, especially we have a whole book called predictable revenue. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, maybe in certain transactional things would be predictable, but um, and overall it can be predictable. But the individual transactions aren't necessarily. You can just do the best you can do. The key is getting better so that you r- narrow the range of uncertainty. And I think oh, that's I love that. and I think that's really the mark of a good salesperson is is yeah, you're you're narrowing that range of uncertainty uh, in the in the deals and the opportunities you're working. And right. Never completely goes away though. So right. uh, you can, yeah. And I've you had sellers work for me that have done fabulous jobs on deals that were big deals that were important deals that we should have got that yeah something happened at the last minute that was unpredictable. Yeah, you know, could have been mm-hmm. in one case it was an earnings report that was unexpected. The company was caught by surprise. So yeah, fortunately, I just delayed it for six months as opposed to completely derailing it. But but those things happen. So yeah, I think it's it's. What's really important for sellers is to be aware of the fact and be sensitive to the fact that these things can happen. As right. I said, through through experience, through learning, is as I'm sure your friend is. He's you know he's paying close attention to this these potential variances, the potential variables that that could affect yeah. could affect the outcome, and do what you can to to work against it. Exactly. And I think the final point on that is like, don't just throw your hands up in the air if you're a salesperson and say, oh, there's variance. There's nothing we can do. 
ah, whatever. I like how you said it, you know, narrow the, the, the variant potential there yeah, by the range, becoming the better in, yeah, range, yeah, of, the range, range of uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Become better and learn and, you know, do your best and to up your skills and narrow that, that gap as much as possible. Well, and I think, that, yeah, I think part of that too is, is that one of the areas we're letting sellers down in these days, and I say we collectively, I, I like to think I'm helping them in this regard, is, is, is there's not enough emphasis placed on winning. Mm. And there's a lot of emphasis on the process. And if, hey, if we just execute the process, we're going to close X number or X percentage of our deals, as opposed to saying, well, let's start with the assumption we're going 100% and work backwards, right? Right. And, and teach and educate our sellers about the things that it takes to actually win a piece of business. Um, and there's very little consciousness, I find, among sellers about things that they do deliberately to help them actually win. And and I think this is, and part of it is what I just talked about is this not really seeing themselves on this continuum of continually getting better, right? And being able to narrow that range of uncertainty and do the things that that win. That's really important. I, I wrote about this yesterday. I said, yeah, what, in my email that goes out to my subscribers is that you know you want to get to a point where you can learn how to sell savagely well. You know, I just love that expression. I saw that expression recently. Is is you just you just want to be completely determined to learn how to do it incredibly well, and yeah. you're not going to win every deal still, but <laughs> you're going to win a much higher fraction of them, and that's really what exactly. it's all about. So yeah, I mean to that point, we've got a guy at Nextio that we call the buzzer beater. <laughs> And this guy always hits quota at the last minute on like the last day. <laughs> and I, you know, I listened to his tonality. I listened to some of his, his calls from the earlier sure. part of the month compared to the end. I'm like, dude, if you could have this level of focus and intensity at the beginning of the month compared to the end, you would smash it every single time. Why is it at the end of the month you're calling people in the not ready to purchase queue or, you know, uh, they, they said that they need more time. You follow up with them and then they say, you know, I, I just, I just don't think I'm ready to, to make a decision right now. I think I may even go with a, a competitor. I think I'm good right now. Thank you very much. And this guy is able to fight through that and close it. Right. When they clearly said, no, I'm not interested. Nah, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. He is able to do it. So ask him, ask him this question. So when he was in college, when did he write his term papers? <laughs> That's a good one. Right? If he wrote his term papers on the night before they were due, then you got the answer to your question. Why? It's always the last week yeah. of the month. He's just a last minute Larry. He just puts it off. Yeah. And yeah, can't, he can't get motivated until the stakes are really high. And yeah. you know, I have to admit I was sort of that same way myself in college. You know, sort of a little bit of a procrastinator, do things at the last minute and <laughs> uh you know, probably did some of that in sales as well. But you know, it's it's uh you can find out and it's worth knowing if he's that way then yeah, then he can be coached to say let's let's work on this because this is not something that can't be changed. And what he's doing in this case, if he's leaving everything at the last minute, is if he had maybe level loaded the activity and his activity and his intensity, maybe he could be 1.1 or 1.2x what he's doing now. Right. Because uh, clearly he has the capability. So, 
<laughs> Coaching opportunity for your VP of sales. There you go. All right. Well, Gaetano, we'll have to do this again because I know we didn't get to everything we wanted to talk about, but uh, <laughs> this has been fun. Dude, this has been awesome. I always love talking to you. I feel like um, it, I, I love that it's a two-way convo and I always pick up little gems and nuggets from you, Andy. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a pleasure, man. Well, it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, people are out there. Yeah. Well, first of all, tell people how they can get in touch with you. I forgot, I'm sorry, I forgot that. And then also tell them where they can see your music. Yeah, yeah, man. So uh, LinkedIn, you can see it all. It's all there. Uh, <laughs> it is. It, it's all there. So just hit and me up on LinkedIn. Maybe the only music video on LinkedIn, I think. There's some people <laughs> trying to do it, but you know they can't quite. They can't quite do it the way your boy does it, Andy. So uh, <laughs> just search me on LinkedIn, Gaetano uh, Denardi, and uh, you'll you'll see all my content, um, articles I've written, SEO stuff, content, sales enablement, uh, and then of course music videos. Uh, check Perfect. it out. Perfect. Perfect. All right, Gaetano. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. Have a good one, man. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I also want to thank my guest, Gaetano Donardi. That was so much fun. So join me again next week as my guest will be Chris Spurvey. Chris is the author of It's Time to Sell, Cultivating the Sales Mindset, as well as CEO of Chris Spurvey Consulting. And Chris and I will be talking about personal growth in sales, how to effectively build relationships, how to experiment to develop a sales style that works for you, and the steps you need to take to become the very best version of you. So be sure to join us then. Now, before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. The Sales House is my personal growth training platform for B2B sellers just like you. Personal growth and professional development all in one place. So for more information, visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com. Look forward to seeing you there. All right, thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.